History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 393rd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're featuring a location that was suggested by our listener, Brad Bransell. And this is the Old Baraboo Inn. Fabulous. I bet you can't guess where it is. <laughs> uh, Baraboo, Wisconsin? Aw, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> this place is crazy haunted, has a crazy history, at least if you believe what they seem to have pulled together about it. Tracking down the history on this place, quite difficult. We'll get into talking about that in just a moment. But before we do that, we have a few people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew. Ginny, who spells her name G-I-N-N-Y, Candace, and Diane with a fabulous, fabulous name. <laughs> welcome to the crew. And now, this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Jenny Lynn Raines. Step wells are a type of well or pond found in countries like Pakistan or India. They have served a utilitarian purpose for hundreds of years. The first rock-cut step wells in India date back to 200 AD. Many of these step wells are many-storied and go down several feet into the ground. That's why they're called step wells, because steps are used to get down to where the water is held. These became places for not only getting water during times of drought, but social gatherings and religious ceremonies were held at these wells also. Some wells had particular goddesses connected to them, and gifts or prayers would be offered. The most amazing step well is called Chandbiori, and it is found in the Indian state of Rajasthan. This is dated to the 8th or 9th century. There is a temple that is part of the complex, along with sculptures and carvings. This step well has 3,500 very narrow steps that look quite dangerous, leading down 13 stories. That makes this one of the largest and deepest step wells in India. This is an amazing man-made structure, but having to take such a treacherous journey to get down to water certainly is odd. And now, this month in history. In the month of July, on the 11th in 1920, actor and director Yul Brenner was born. He was best known for his role as King Moncut in the Rodgers and Hammerstein play, The King and I. The story follows the memoirs of Indian-born British writer Anna Leon Owens, who was hired as the governess for the children of the King of Siam. This life-changing role for Brenner almost didn't happen because acting wasn't going well for him, and he had decided to go into directing. 
but once he read the script for the play, he was fascinated by the king. He would go on to play the role 4,625 times on the stage. Those stages included London, touring productions, and, of course, Broadway, which had two revivals after the original production. He reprised the role in a film version in 1956 for which he won the Academy Award for Best Actor. Brenner also won two Tony Awards for the role, making him only one of ten people to have won a Tony and Oscar for the same role. For the role, he shaved his head, and since he was Russian-born, it gave him an exotic look. Many men copied it, which was a thing at the time because bald heads weren't quote-unquote in. They called it the Yul Brenner look. The actor went on to play the role of Ramses II in the Ten Commandments film and a Russian general in Anastasia. Brenner was a philanderer who was married four times and had numerous affairs throughout his life. One long-term one with Marlene Dietrich. Yul Brenner died of lung cancer on October 10, 1985 at the age of 65. He had given his final performance of The King just a couple months before. Baraboo Inn is located at 135 Walnut Street in Baraboo, Wisconsin. This location has housed a brothel, a brewery, a boarding house, a speakeasy, saloons, bars, and restaurants over nearly 157 years of existence. The building has suffered fires on more than one occasion. There have been deaths here, some because of murder. The historic building has a wild history that has now led to even wilder stories of hauntings. There may be as many as 30 spirits calling this place home in the afterlife. Join us as we explore the history and haunts of the Old Baraboo Inn. We visited Baraboo in an episode before because this is one of the homes of the circus. Several circuses got their start here. This would also become the launching place of syndicated newspaper stories and such. Did you know that, Kelly? I did not. I mean, Baraboo is not what you would consider to be a big town. Most people have probably never heard of it. And yet people read newspapers every day that basically are filled with syndicated stories, cartoons, puzzles, that kind of thing. Very cool. And it all got started here by a man whose name makes you think of cereal. Ansel H. Kellogg was editor of the Baraboo Republic. And since he was working with minimal staff due to the Civil War, he ordered two pages of printed war news from a Madison newspaper every week. And then he would print local Baraboo news on the blank sides in his shop. Pretty soon, other newspapers were running with the idea, and now every newspaper in the nation subscribes to articles this way. The technical term for these sources is boilerplates. Now, back to Baraboo. The Kickapoo and Ho-Chunk tribes were some of the first in the region, and the Ho-Chunk still maintain a strong presence here. Evidence of an early group known as effigy mound builders could still be seen in Baraboo. One of the many mounds they built still exists and is known as Man Mound. Because so many of these ceremonial mounds and possibly burial mounds have been disturbed and destroyed, it is thought that the area carries paranormal energy that might not be very positive. And Kelly, you and I watched a program that showed some of these effigies, and it's amazing how many were there. I'd say, I don't know, just off the top of my head, about 15, maybe 20 of them. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And these weren't little things. These are really big 
mounds that they built and they're in the shape of animals, human beings, like man mound is called man mound because it looks like a guy who's standing there. <laughs> right. And what's really bad is this is the only one that's been preserved and yet they still ran a road through the legs. So it's like he's cut off at the knees <laughs> and there's a road and then his feet are on the other side. Well, you know. And then they wonder why they have hauntings here all over this city. Right. They even have a road called Mound Road. So it's like they're saying, look what we did. Ha ha ha. Come and get us. You and I have visited some mounds, especially here in Florida, but nothing that looks cool like an animal or a human. No, they've just basically been big hills that were covered with stuff. Yeah. So you think all Vegetation. of those all of those managed to get saved. And yet these ones, no. I know. It's kind of odd. And the thing is, we don't know with some of these, like the mounds that we've seen here in Florida were ceremonial. They weren't burial. They didn't find any bones in them. Right. It makes you wonder when they basically plowed through all these, I guess, to put houses in. Did they find bones? I don't know. Or were they just ceremonial? Either way, they clearly were something sacred to these early people. Since this was near a river, settlers eventually made their way here. Abe Wood established a settlement in 1838. By 1866, it was an official village and grew big enough to become the county seat of Sauk County. In 1882, Baraboo was incorporated. The city had originally been called Adams, but changed to Baraboo since that was the name of the river. As to the origin of that name, it is hard to know. Some say it is a derivative of the French term for catfish, while others maintain it's a French surname. It would be here that George and Anna Bender would emigrate from Germany in 1848 and have nine children. George Bender was a brewer, and he brought his knowledge of German lagers with him. Lagers are light and malty and cold brewed. And most of our listeners are probably pretty familiar with those because those are your regular old Coors, Budweiser, that kind of thing. We're craft beer connoisseurs, so we're not as much into the lagers. I do occasionally have a craft beer snob. Just own it. That's true. (laughs) I do occasionally have an amber lager, but yeah, I'm not real partial to those. Unless SeaWorld's offering a free one, then I'll drink a Bud Light. He and Anna opened the first saloon in Baraboo in 1859 and called it Bender's Saloon. Wonder where they got that name. They moved to the Southbridge Street location a few years later, probably in 1864, since a sign on the Baraboo Inn says that it was established in 1864. The Benders built the Miller Bender Brewery in 1868, and I don't know where that Miller part comes from. I don't know if they partnered with somebody, but eventually they got rid of that part. George died in 1874, and his son Robert stepped up to help with the brewery operations. Anna decided to turn one of their properties into a boarding house. She opened this on the second level of the saloon in 1876 and called it the Bender Boarding House. Another brewer named Effinger helped with brewery operations, and these thrived until the building burned down in 1884. The Benders would no longer brew lager, but they kept the boarding house going, which was thriving as a new train depot started bringing more people to Baraboo. Anna died sometime around 1890. We searched for a death year but couldn't find one. She did die at the Bender House, and another son named Frank took over the operating of the boarding house and saloon. Frank died in 1904, and a man named August Reinick bought the saloon and renamed it for himself. Legends claim that a brothel was on the upper floor, but we couldn't find when this would be, so perhaps it was at this time. Baraboo was ahead of the curve when it came to Prohibition and went completely dry in 1917, forcing Reinick out of business. He offered to sell back the saloon to two of the Bender brothers, and they reopened as a restaurant. This was a brewery family, so we can imagine that all that went on here was a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Sure. (laughs) 
Certainly no speakeasy, no sir. A raid in 1929 would back up our suspicions as the police padlocked the doors afterwards. There was a portion of the place today called the Gangster's Back Bar, where Al Capone would reputedly hang out with his buddies, which lends credence to the speakeasy rumors as well. That raid would be it for the Bender family. They sold the property in the 1930s. Now, we don't know. That could all just be legend that Al Capone would show up here with his buddies, but it was along the way from one location that he would go to to another. So the chances of him stopping here were pretty possible. After all, he could get a, some whiskey and there was gambling going on here. So why not? In 1939, Pierce's Cafe was open in the location and the history is murky after that with a series of restaurants and bars calling the space home. It was the strikeout club when John and Rose Dombrowski bought the building in 1962 and they ran it as a bar and store. They changed the name to Old Baraboo Inn in 1964. John died in the front bar area in 1979 when a bowling ball. So (laughs) (laughs) what in the Sam hail? (laughs) All right. Kelly, What is happening? You got to hear this. So John dies in the front bar area in 1979 when a bowling ball came flying through a front window. No, it did not hit him. It just scared him so bad that he had a heart attack. That's what they surmise. Oh, my word. And I just had like visions of a circus cannonball firing thing, like shooting the Sure, ball sure. The I'm like, down. where did this bowling ball come from? Were they bowling in the what street? on earth? Yeah, I, I don't know where the hell it would have come from. Poor guy. Yeah, and I mean, I could imagine if you're standing by the window and all of a sudden it comes flying in at you. So at this point, we've had two owners of the property that have died on the premises, George Bender and John Dombrowski. John and Rose's son, Jack, bought the business at that point and opened Bombo's Pub. And I don't know what Bombo was named for. Sounds kind of circusy, I guess. Things were good for several years, but eventually a fire burned the building fairly badly and Jack had to help his patrons escape. Now get a load of this, Kelly. The last person out of the building during that fire would become the eventual new owner, B.C. Farr. The bar and restaurant sat vacant for 14 years before reopening in 2002 under the ownership of B.C. Farr. Farr bought the property in 1998 and spent years and thousands of dollars renovating it. He's still the owner today, and he embraces the ghost at his establishment. And let me just tell you what he has done with this place. It's gorgeous. That bar looks amazing. You could tell that this guy really loves this property and has done a good job of taking care of it. Well, that makes me really happy to hear. There are four parts of the bar that are haunted. There are the upstairs apartments, the front bar, the back bar, and the basement. It's important to note that much of what is known about the spirits here, and even the history, comes from psychics and mediums. As is the case with many haunted locations, the first unexplained happenings started as renovations began. Workers claimed to see shadows moving in rooms out of the corners of their eyes. Music started to be heard, and there was nothing that could play it other than radios, and this was not radio music. It sounded live, as did the clinking of glasses. There was disembodied laughing and talking, too. The crew would turn all the lights off at night before leaving, and when they returned in the morning, they would find the lights on. The new owner, Farr, witnessed many things. A Wisconsin State Journal article by Doug Erickson from July 2005 featured many of his experiences. He said, I don't really care what people think. I know what I've seen. He claims to have seen a broom float across the kitchen, seen dishes fly off racks by themselves, and his tools would go missing or get moved around while he was renovating. 
when it comes to the walk-in refrigerator, which happens to be down in the creepiest heck basement, he says if the ghost doesn't like you, it will shut the door on you and turn the light off. Holy crow. That's scary. You don't want to get locked in a refrigerator. No. And then have the lights turned off, too. Uh, Can you imagine? It would be so dark in there. It's your worst nightmare because it's cold, too. Yeah. And then you're (laughs) like, I hope people realize that I haven't come back upstairs with whatever I came down here for. I once worked in a restaurant that had a haunted basement, and I hated going down there. That's where all the storage was. And I'd always be like, well, one of you guys go down with me. I have to go get a can of tomatoes. Many times he would hear someone call out his name, and when he would answer, there would be no response. If he went to investigate who had called his name, he would find no one else in the building. At first, he was really annoyed, thinking someone was playing tricks on him. He would tape the windows and door shut to see if someone was sneaking inside. He never found anyone and finally had to admit that the place was haunted. Far feared that patrons wouldn't come to his bar if it was haunted, so he kept quiet about the unexplained things that were happening, at least for a little while. After opening, many of the employees claimed to have paranormal experiences, and the cat was out of the bag, as they say. Waitress Peggy Tobias claimed to see a full-bodied apparition behind the bar. This was a spirit that everyone thinks is Mary. The story is that Mary once worked in the brothel upstairs and bled to death in the building in the early 1900s. A customer named Charlotte has seen Mary's ghost on the dance floor. She seems to really like a certain song that plays on the jukebox by Stevie Ray Vaughan, called The House is Rockin'. It's thought that two other women who worked in the brothel also died here. So we have at least three former brothel workers and two owners who have died here. But there could be as many as 30 ghosts, as far claims. As we said earlier, the history that we're getting here about, like, Mary and these other two women who may have worked in the brothel, No proof for any of that anywhere. This is just mediums and psychics, investigators have come through, and this is what they've pieced together. We don't know if any of that's really true, if there's really 30 spirits here or not, how they would be here. This is all just based on conjecture. There are two apartments upstairs. The first tenants in one of the apartments complained afar about hearing the loud sound of a piano playing honky-tonk music and loud laughter. I'm trying to think who would want an apartment above a bar anyway. (laughs) You're you're going to have that happen, but this, of course, is when there's nobody there. This was before the bar had opened. A man named Johnny Flores had rented one of the apartments upstairs, and he told Erickson that he fled the apartment because he couldn't take this ghostly female voice calling his name in the middle of the night anymore. So I guess it was happening a lot. Johnny. No, can you imagine? (laughs) Johnny, wake up. (laughs) (laughs) A female tenant named Brooke Schonenberger claims to have been pestered by a dribble of water that comes down from a kitchen cabinet where nothing is stored. So I guess it was just this constant running water down that cabinet. They couldn't figure out where the hell it'd be coming from. One resident was really startled when a light fixture came crashing down onto a bed from the ceiling. I do not know if they were actually in the bed when that happened. That would be unsettling. Just a little. You're trying to kill me! And now a little break? for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Phoenix Treasury. The Phoenix Treasury is a conglomerate of three Etsy shops featuring vintage collectibles and memorabilia. For those of you that have recently become executive producers of the History Ghost Bump podcast, you've received a postcard along with your stickers and magnets because Kelly, anybody who gives at the dollar and above level, so any of those levels, you get at least a sticker And at the $5 and above, we throw in a magnet, too, and you all get postcards, too. 
And we got these postcards that are just gorgeous, absolutely love them, of a cemetery from the Phoenix Treasury. Just like it is for an indie podcast like ours, when you support a small business, you support a dream. On top of that, you get some fabulous postcards that you can send out or make into your own decor. Of particular interest to History Goes Bump listeners, the Phoenix Treasury offers an America's Most Haunted Places series. Our first collection of five featured the Pittock Mansion, Bell Witch Cave, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, RMS Queen Mary, and the Winchester Mystery House. This is a not-to-be-missed collection for haunted history fans. You can find those at the Phoenix Post Etsy shop, and there are also horror movie postcards there as well. There is no better time to send out snail mail to someone you love, and even better, why not start an HGB pen pal relationship and exchange postcards with each other? Excellent idea. I just came up with that. I'm so proud. You're so brilliant. Share the love you have for us with each other. Check out the Phoenix Treasury at thephoenixtreasury.com. You'll find the links to their three Etsy shops there. Make sure to enter coupon code HISTORY for 25% off any order at any of the stores. Again, that's thephoenixtreasury.com and use coupon code HISTORY for 25% off any order at any of the stores. The Food Network, clearly not known for their specialization in hauntings, has declared this location one of the top 10 haunted places in America. Yeah, they didn't specify that this was like top 10 haunted restaurants, so I don't know if that's what they were doing, but yeah, this made it on their list. Interesting. Other spirits that have been seen here include a cowboy named Jed, an elderly woman, an elderly man, a saloon dancer, and a ghost cat. And Al Capone has been seen and caught on EVP, according to some investigators. And then there is Sybil, the lady in white that has been seen here. Scents like roses, cigars, and old lady perfume. Old lady perfume. (laughs) But you know what's funny? When I use that terminology, everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about. But it still cracks me up. (laughs) Isn't it funny, though, that everybody has like in their nose picture? their nose picture i guess <laughs> in their memory of sense <laughs> in their nose picture <laughs> what that would be hey i can make up my own words if i want to i know we're talking about the paranormal we could talk about any kind of words we want to make up anything okay so all those scents have been detected through the years the bar stools seem to have minds of their own they spin around and sometimes tip to the side as if asking patrons to hop on board Do they charge for rides here? I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes the stools go all the way upside down, too. That would not be nice to sit down on. (laughs) There's a spirit who's been nicknamed the Whistler. He whistles, of course, and it's usually a happy tune. Of course, the female restroom here is haunted as well. They always are. (laughs) Former owner Rose Dombrowski has been detected by mediums who investigate the restroom. Women who visit the restroom claim to smell her old-fashioned rose perfume. You mean her old lady her perfume? old lady perfume. <laughs> you day old lady. <laughs> I'm going to start looking in the stores for that. Do you guys have o day old lady? The cowboy Jed is sometimes seen in the restroom too. The women's or the men's? In the women's. Oh, great. Yeah. Mediums claim that he died from a fall on the stairs. But if he was in the female restroom and he's poking around in there, he probably got clubbed by some woman who was tired <laughs> of having him look through the... Little slats on the door. On the door. <laughs> I agree. I was about to say the same thing. She clobbered him <laughs> with her purse. <laughs> we know how you died, Jed, you dirty old cowboy. 
Oh my gosh. And probably the strangest spirits here belong to a boy and a dog. One would not expect to find children's spirits in a bar, clearly. So I don't know where the children here are coming from. Maybe they were children that belonged to the families that ran the bar. Maybe. I could see them being around. Yeah, I mean, the Benders had nine children, some of whom never even made it into adulthood again. So maybe they'd passed away, kind of like we were talking about the Denim Inn. Apparently, some patrons bring their children along. So again, that's kind of weird, too. But maybe they have fun little gatherings here. They play in the back bar area with some other children that uh, nobody else sees. Oh, my. <laughs> They'll come up and be like, hey, mom, I was just playing with that kid back there. And the mom's looking back there going, mom, kid? What can kid? Billy come home with me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he doesn't have a home. People just assume they're playing with children ghosts. A little boy ghost and a dog have been captured in pictures. Kelly knows this sensation well from her experiences at the McPike Mansion. Patrons claim to feel as though children are climbing up on their laps at the bar. Well, this is true. Yep, that is very interesting. Cold spot on the lap. I wonder if they play with their earrings like they did yours. I know. I was just going to say that. <laughs> the Travel Channel series, Hometown Horrors, featured Baraboo, Wisconsin in one of their episodes, and the Baraboo Inn was included on that episode. Brenda Block is a resident who appeared on the show, and she claimed to have felt something she couldn't see, touch her hair one day, as she sat at the bar. When she turned to look behind her, she saw no one. B.C. Farr appeared on this show and explained that many people were killed in the basement, and that there was even an execution pole down there. He also claimed that early gunfights at the saloon took some lives, and bullet holes in a couple of the walls seemed to indicate that this is true. And that execution pole has a lot of holes in it that look like they could be bullet holes. So I think that's where he has derived that he thinks that people were killed down here. There are some discolorings on the pole that could be blood. He concreted over some stuff on the floor that he thought looked like blood. Interesting. The basement is said to be full of dark energy. In 2016, Dennis Cantencamp went down to investigate the basement and got the scare of his life. His flashlight stopped working, and he felt like something was crushing his entire body. He ran terrified from the basement. During the episode, a group that included B.C., B.C.'s sister, Dennis, Brenda, and a psychic went down to explore, and, of course, they all felt weird and such, but there was no evidence collected. They went down without any kind of equipment, so it was just based on them feeling kind of weird and not safe down there. Which, again, you're down in a basement, which already is going to give you weird feelings. It's stuffy. It's musty. I don't know how much electrical stuff they've got down there, how good the wiring is. So you've got a variety of things that could be going on. I didn't see anything during their little visit down there that made me go, oh, yeah, that place has got all kinds of dark energy and is scary. BC Farr also made an appearance on Fright Club with Jack Osborne and the Ghost Brothers. We've really been enjoying that little show that started up last year. Yeah, I like it a lot. They have these clips that they get from different places. I don't know where they collect them from or if people send them to them. And then they kind of try to debunk them and talk to the people about them and see which one is the creepiest that wins the Fright Club, I guess. They were interviewing Far about a video that was made there during an investigation. The video featured SLS footage that looked like a couple of spirits getting... Ah, uh, how do I put this delicately? Amorous? Yeah, in the former brothel area. It's kind of what it looked like to me. While Farr was talking about this, a distinctive shadow is seen behind him. Now, this is live while they're taping. 
Jack immediately got excited and everybody asked Barr to flip the camera around so that they could see who was in the bar with him. Because what it looked like is that he had maybe somebody standing there with the camera and that maybe a car went by a window. And so, you know, kind of when it goes past somebody, it would make the shadow kind of go across the back. Sure. Or you had somebody who walked across light that would be shining on far. This person walked in front of that light and so it threw a shadow. Interesting thing is, though, the shadow didn't go over far. It was like behind him, literally. So that was the first thing that makes you go, huh, that doesn't look normal. So he flips the camera around and there's nobody there. It's just him taping with them. (laughs) You're like, okay, there's no other person there. And then you look when you see that he's flipped it around and there's no window or a light source or anything there that could have caused a shadow to be thrown. Everybody was very perplexed, including you and I. And Jack got really excited about it because he's like, I've always wanted something like this to happen live (laughs) when we're doing something. But then it got a little bit weirder. A couple minutes later, they're still doing the interview and a weird shimmering light anomaly appeared over the top of Far that, again, could not be explained. Nobody knew where could this be coming from. Everybody was real excited. Far was befuddled because it's happening to him, behind him, around him. And he can't see any of it. They're just telling him (laughs) this is happening. So he just hears all the guys going crazy. Very interesting stuff going on in this bar. Poor delivery drivers and salesmen for different products have experienced some weird things, many of whom have changed their routes to avoid the inn. I'm not going back there. I don't (laughs) care what they pay me. The Budweiser guy witnessed the apparition of an elderly woman in the front bar. And some people think that this is Anna Bender. The man said she was standing in the doorway and glaring at him. He said she was wearing a dress straight out of Little House on the Prairie. He never returned. Delivery people from Cisco have also been spooked by unexpected encounters. These took place in the kitchen and front bar area, and on one instance, the kitchen doors were witnessed swinging open and closed on their own. Many paranormal investigation groups have visited and collected evidence. There have been videos of shadows and orbs, and many EVP have been recorded. Creepshow Paranormal has investigated here a couple of times. Rocks were thrown at them, and they've seen shadow figures. Paranormal MD Mary Marshall said, I've been investigating in the paranormal field for 18 years. I consider my paranormal experiences at the Old Baraboo Inn some of the most profound and exceptional ever. This property is definitely in my top two favorite haunted locations to visit. In addition, the staff is another top reason for continuing to return to Old Baraboo Inn. Melinda Hollis had participated in a ghost hunt here, and she told author Amelia Cotter in her book, Where the Party Never Ended, Ghosts of the Old Baraboo Inn, I visited the Old Baraboo Inn and participated in a ghost hunt. Within the first 30 minutes, I captured what I think was a ghost or spirit on video. Within minutes of capturing the ghost, I suddenly felt hot, my face felt flush and turned red, even my ears felt hot. I became dizzy and had to sit down. I was brought a glass of water and it soon passed. I was told I was possibly hugged by a ghost. The experience was amazing. Farr also shared many stories with Cotter and one of particular interest seems to be connected to the circus. He told her, I looked over and there was a guy standing there, a full-bodied apparition with a blank death stare face. He was wearing what looked like a circus shirt. It had blousy sleeves and orange stripes with ruffles. I remember just looking at this guy and he just looked back at me. Then he slowly disappeared. I pictured him as a juggler or riding a unicycle. He was a fairly stocky guy. Maybe he's attracted to the smell of the prime rib I was preparing. 
I could tell he liked it. If I'm in the afterlife and you're making some prime rib, I might show up too. I love me some prime rib. (laughs) I know you do. You know, it makes sense that you would have somebody wearing circus attire here because this is the circus town. So very, very possible. Cotter also describes a terrifying incident that Farr had with a group of ghost hunters up in the old brothel. We were hearing babies crying and I was walking down the hall. We had one flashlight on. I had a weird feeling all of a sudden. And when I turned around, I looked up and there was a freaking orb close to basketball size. That's a huge orb just hovering near the ceiling. It started coming at me and then it stopped. I said, I see you. I'm not afraid of you. What's going on? Come talk and try to communicate with us. Come on. I know you hear me. Come on. It started growing immensely like a great big white mist. And then it turned into a black bodied form, kind of like a bear. I said, I'm not afraid of you. Come on, come on. And it stopped like 10 feet away from me. And all these people were just completely freaked out. I stood there looking at it for what felt like a couple of minutes. And then it just slowly faded backwards, straight back into the wall. My heart was pounding and the people in the group were like, let's get the hell out of here now. And it felt like something wanted us gone, but like it was just kind of shooing us away. It was just huge and so dark, darker than the darkness around it, and had a kind of a glow, like a shadow figure, but it was a real monster, just huge and black, and you could see through it. We weren't sure if it was Ma Bender up there with us or not. It could have been her, though, and could have been Rosie Dombrowski, too. What I want to know is why did he assume that this black thing that was causing them some fear was feminine? I don't know. Because the two names that he puts up there are two of the female spirits that might be here and why they would, you know, start off as this big, I I can't even imagine seeing something the size of a basketball. First of all, I'd probably be like, "Mm, maybe I want to get out of here. It changes into a big black thing that's kind of coming at me. Like a bear, he said? Yeah, I think I would get out. Well, it sounded like he was definitely kind of taunting it, saying, I'm not afraid of you. I thought it was a bit taunting, too. Clearly, as he's saying, come on, come on, I'm not afraid. It started changing and getting bigger, so. I'll make you afraid. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Many photos you can find online feature people posing in front of the sign that reads, I got ghost bombed at the Old Baraboo Inn. This references a drink that one can order at the bar, and also the fact that many people entering have some sort of weird experience, whether it's a strange feeling or an actual interaction with the ghost. This location sounds like a fun place to get ghost bombed. Is the old Baraboo in haunted? That is for you to decide. Kelly, a lot of the information that I got here, whether it was some of the haunting experiences that people have had, and in particular the history, are from Amelia Cotter's book, which we referenced, Where the Party Never Ended, Ghosts of the Old Baraboo Inn. She just published that back here in May of 2021. So if you want to pick that up, you can get it at Amazon. It's both uh, paperback and Kindle. And if for nothing else, you might want to get it because there's some really cool pictures in there that people have shared that make you go, hmm, a little Most strange. Definitely. Don't know if we'll ever get up to Wisconsin, but if we do, there's a lot of places we're going to be checking out there in Baraboo. We'd love for you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We heard from Mary, who shares an account with her mother supporting HGB. And her mother's name was Krista Mum. And we weren't sure if we'd said it right. And she's like, you got it right. It's just like the British name for mom over there, mum. Very good. We actually have gotten several emails or messages over the past week 
from listeners just telling us how we've helped make them feel better because they've been suffering maybe medical issues or just some mental health issues. And it just touches us so much to hear from you guys that we really help you get through maybe a dark time that you're going through that we make you feel a little bit better. It's very, very touching to us. And you guys are very important to us. And one of the reasons why we put the show on. So we're glad that it brings a little sparkle to everyone's life. Absolutely. We love you guys. We heard from Elisha on our website. Hey guys, I live in Texas and visited Jefferson in August, September of 2020. I stayed in the Con Hotel right across the street from the Jefferson as the Jefferson Hotel was still in the process of being renovated. Wait for it. There is an epic ghost tour available in Jefferson and we got lucky. Jefferson had a very low COVID count, so things were opening back up, but the tour count was extremely low, so we were able to go into many of the historic and haunted buildings. To put a cherry on the cheesecake, yummy, the new owners of the Jefferson Hotel gave us full access to wander the facilities of the Jefferson mid-renovation. Wow. Guys, it is an awesome place, and I have a ton of pics of the dolls, antiques, etc., all before they found their homes and their rooms. I can't say that I caught a ghost in the Jefferson, but it is one of the spookiest places I've ever been. The dolls and decor brought by the new owners definitely leave you looking over your shoulders. Notice I said I did not see a ghost in the Jefferson. We were able to tour an antique store reported to be haunted. I roamed on the tour as did everyone and I snapped pictures in the dark. I lingered in the back of the tour because I like to take pics of everything. I'm a skeptic that wants so badly to change my mind. LOL. The next day I flipped through my pictures. Nothing, nothing. Wait, guys, I captured a person. There is a full-bodied person standing at the end of one of the aisles. It isn't a squint one eye, maybe it's a reflection, slightly see-through Casper apparition. This is as solid as you or I. It is a very tall, red-headed man with a full beard. I tried to debunk this picture a million times. I took my daughter back to the store that day and tried to duplicate the picture to see if it was anything other than an apparition, but we could not duplicate it. Everyone on the tour had to stay together on one side of the store at all times, so no one would have been on that side of the store. Furthermore, this person would have had to be very tall given the picture in which we tried to debunk. I shared the picture with the store staff who sent it to the owner. Supposedly, the owner has seen this very person in the store, and others have seen someone with red hair and a thick beard near the railroad track. Again, if there's a way to send pics, I'd love to send them to you guys, so I let them know our email address because we'd love to see it and share it with everybody on Instagram. And I was like, yeah, definitely. Wow. Very interesting to have caught that on picture. Absolutely. So thanks for sharing that. And then we also had Chloe in the crew share an experience. She said, hey, everyone, I just wanted to share an experience I had back in 2015. My nan was doing very poorly and was put on end of life care in the hospital. On the 22nd of May 2015, I went to bed as usual, but had a really strange dream where I was with my nan in the hospital room she was staying in. Side note, my nan didn't speak towards the end of her life. She just lay asleep all the time, not drinking and not eating. I was talking to her in my dream, and she told me it was her time to go and that she loved me. I begged her to stay and asked her over and over to stay and get better. She told me, I'm sorry, it's my time. In my dream, she was smiling, and she was happy and looked so healthy and glowing. I woke up on the 23rd of May, upset, checked my phone to see what time it was, and saw I'd missed a call from my uncle. I called him back immediately. He told me he was on the way to pick me up. Sadly, my nan had passed away at six that morning. I believe she visited me in my dreams before she passed away to say goodbye to me. On the day of her funeral, just as the car with her coffin came into her street, I burst into tears knowing this was the final time I was ever going to see her again. I had a shiver on my left upper arm and I knew immediately it was her comforting me. When she was alive, she used to rub the top of my arm in the exact same way. I thought that was very cool. 
I've been told since I'm sensitive to the other side as it's not the first time a relative of mine that has passed away has visited me. My granddad, my nan's husband, passed away in 2005. He too visited me not long after he died. Well, I say he visited me. I was told I visited him. I woke up crying after seeing and speaking to him in my dream. I was told that the reason I woke up crying was because my spirit went back into my body after visiting him. So kind of like she had an out-of-body experience almost. I've just remembered after listening to the people tell their experiences on your podcast, I have an English Heritage membership. We visited a place of theirs called Whitley Court and Gardens. While standing inside the building, just a shell now due to a fire, I had a vision of a lady with a big puffy dress. She had brown hair and was smiling. Afterwards, I researched the history of the place and found a picture, and it was the exact woman I saw in my vision. She was the daughter of the first Earl of Dudley, who owned the house after the Foley family. Oh, wow. So here she saw an apparition and then was able to back it up by seeing an actual picture, too. Very cool. So thanks to you guys for sharing all of your experiences. We greatly appreciate that and love to share it with our listeners. I want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery... Catherine Moulton. She's going to be buried in a chest tomb, and Catherine has donated several times to the podcast, so now she's decided to sign up and become a regular supporter, which makes me think that maybe she was a little hesitant to get that close to Mort and have him, you know, burying her in the cemetery and that kind of thing, and she kind of got over that now. Perhaps. Well, thank you so much for your support. We do greatly appreciate it. Hey, Mort is a sweet boy. And this episode was brought to you by the Phoenix Treasury. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com. You fabulous, you fabulous, <laughs> really fabulous, fabulous today. I'm feeling fabulous. How about you? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I've only said this almost 400 times now. <laughs> Good grief. So it makes you wonder how many people died in the making of this step well. I would have died just trying to walk down the first couple of flights. I would have eaten it and fallen A over T and died at the bottom, 13 stories down. <laughs> I don't know if there's even a sound effect for that, Kelly. If you falling down oh, the I'm stairs, sure the you'll find one. You green, always do. Green sludge at the bottom. Because sploosh. <laughs> look, 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 look. Oh, darn. There goes Kelly. <laughs> the story follows the... Me- Fallers? Fallers. Go foller it into the faller. We're going to foller that. <laughs> into the faller. Several sick... Several sickuses? Sickuses? Sickuses. I'm going to the sickest. I'm going to the sickest. 
There was a portion of the place today called the Gangster's Back Bar where Al Capone would reputedly hang out. (laughs) Hang out? (laughs) He would hang out. I don't even know where that was going. (laughs) I hate you, Flem. I hate you, Flem. I hate you, Flem. But do you really? (laughs) Tell me like you mean it. (laughs) Oh, I thought it was me. That's so funny. I didn't feel it, but because it was so loud, I thought it was coming from me. No, I'm just, you know. Hungry? No, I'm good at ventriloquism. Oh, you're throwing your stomach growl at me? Yeah, you thought it was you. (laughs) I'm quite talented that way. I didn't know. All all my talents, you have no idea. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't know that even ventriloquism of the stomach was possible. And now the dulcet tones of Kiwi. (laughs) 